Well, hey. Hi. How are you doing? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't decide if I was actually going to go into it or not. Let's... Wait, so before I start the show, yes. I have I have some math that I did before before I started the show. So uh, by my calculations, like Christina has an equal amount of talent to you, yes. but she has roughly 166% of amount of the talent that I have. So I'm going to try to bring twice as much awesomeness to the show today just to keep it at an equal level. So I don't, I don't know about uh, your math. I, I feel like... I mean, talent-wise, we both are quite talented, and we both have our specialties. Absolutely. But Christina has a lot of talent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to bring it. We're going to bring it hard today. We're going to bring it super hard, (laughs) and we're going to let the people know. Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress. (laughs) <laughs> and no one. That's no it. One. That's 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 who we are today. Christina's not dead. She's okay. I just want our listeners to know that she didn't. She didn't have some complication this from time, the car. That she's hit okay. Her. Right. She's fine. She's fine. She's actually. This is the weirdest thing. Like I'm in New York. Yeah, I'm in New York just for like a day because mm-hmm. I was doing a documentary shoot. Um, and then I leave and then Christina is immediately in New York and she's actually covering uh, a tech conference for Microsoft that, uh, you know, it's only for people of color, which is awesome. So she's actually out there doing the good work for Microsoft and uh, covering that this week. And uh, it's just you and me today, Simone. Just the two of us. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. I already used my one song rule. There have got to be so many songs about two people. Yeah, do you think there are any other songs about two people? Um, Songs. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. I listen to dance music. It doesn't have lyrics a lot of the time. It's just like that. That's two sounds. Yeah, it's two sounds. Are you the or the I feel like it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes, yeah. Okay, well, for tonight. Right. What are you going to be? Mm-ts. You're oh you're gonna I'm the mm-ts. yes right and then there's the mm-ts. okay 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 I see where you're going with this well yeah. let's talk about Christina's employer <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could say like Christina specifically told us like she brought this do topic this. to us she did and she said I cannot talk about my employer but Brianna and Simone. You don't legally work for Microsoft, so it's fine if you... We do not. Yep. Yes. She said we can be as candid as we want. So, okay. So, this story uh, revolves around a case between the U.S. Supreme Court now and Microsoft. It is actually being heard today by the Supreme Court. So, by, by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday, March 1st, or Friday, March 2nd, uh <laughs> will maybe have heard some things about it. I'm not sure how long uh, Supreme Court cases last. It, anyway. It usually takes like a month for them to bring out the the ruling, doesn't it? Or am I mistaken about that? You know, you're probably right about that. Maybe they'll have said some some other things. Maybe they'll have said, hey, we heard that. And we could be like, oh, cool. You heard about it on Rocket, <laughs> didn't you, Supreme Court? I'm digressing <laughs> before I've even introduced the topic. 
case between the Supreme Court and Microsoft revolving around the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, wanting access to some emails from somebody who had set up a Microsoft email address. Uh, this th- this data is stored in Dublin. Microsoft handed over to the Department of Justice uh, things like the subject's address book, which were hosted on American servers, but the actual emails themselves are not stored on U.S. soil in the the U.S. cloud, quote-unquote, as it were, which is not a thing that exists. But basically, the data is not stored on U.S. soil. So the, the U.S. government... Not a fan of this. Um, and Microsoft is, of course, <laughs> taking uh, also not a fan of this, taking a stand for saying that's it's not our business to give you this data because it is not under the jurisdiction of the American government. It's not on U.S. soil. Then the American government saying, but you're an American company. Right. Why can't we have that data? Right. I mean, it's basically like, imagine three countries, right? So you've got uh, a police in country A, you've got uh, a user in country B, and you've got that user's data uh, stored in country C. So if, you know, the cops in country A are trying to get that data, who did they talk to? Do they talk to their own government? Do they talk to country B's data? Do they talk to country C? That's what this entire Supreme Court case is about, like mm-hmm. who you talk to and what the procedure is. And it's interesting because there is, uh, as was pointed out in the Verge article about this, there is a deal between the U.S. government and Ireland where where there there is a legal pathway to obtaining this information. But what the U.S. government is trying to do is set a precedent where because Microsoft is, is an American company and theoretically has ownership over this, the U.S. government does not want to have to go through a foreign government to obtain the information. So, Brie, I'm as a person who is interested in government and technology, I'm sure that you have opinions about this. Well, you know, I had I was thinking about this the other day because I was I was talking to the EFF um, a few weeks ago, and I was I was having a really candid conversation with them, Simone. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think happens to you know these Democrats that go their whole careers talking about like civil liberties and talking about warrantless wiretapping, and then they get into government and they just kind of you know then Roll go all over and die. Yeah, well, kind of compromise everything that they said. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the person the EFF who's a lot more <laughs> politically uh I, I would say he's probably better at speaking in ways not to upset people off the cuff. <laughs> he's like he was like, you know, well, the the reading I like to give them to kind of be charitable is they see data on national security that we don't, and maybe they see things that make them think this is necessary. Personally, I don't buy that, and it sounds like crap, but it's a it's a it's a nice thought here. Mm-hmm. I mean, but one of the things that's really notable for me in this case is like we don't know. Um, what the crime, we don't know that there's a crime that's been taking place. There's not really, you know, we don't know what the charges are. And the, the central issue here is how easy is it going to be for the United States to basically spy on the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, how do you feel about this, Simone? Because to me, it's like, it feels like we have conversations here about what the process is for protecting Americans' rights. But it seems like we just don't give a darn about anyone else in the world. It's like, spy on Britain, spy on Germany, spy on Ireland, spy on China. That all seems like it's fair game, which 
I don't know. That makes me a little bit uncomfortable. How mm-hmm. do you feel? I feel like on paper, when I hear the words, Microsoft is an American company. Yeah. The Department of Justice's case makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. That does not mean that I like it. Yeah. Uh, as, as you know, I am not a huge fan of... I, I, I think, I guess, what this comes down to for me, as always, is what precedent does it set? We right. we have zero information about who whose emails are stored on these servers in Dublin, what might have happened. Uh, you brought up, Bree, like the charitable reading of maybe they ha- they have information that we don't um the the uncharitable reading of that charitable reading is if they really need the information they could go to the irish government and ask for it right. that's a thing that exists um that being said I, I do totally acknowledge like we are working with imperfect information here that being said i do think that it the idea of the U.S. government being able to wield its its control over information in foreign countries that that does make me very uncomfortable. Uh, I think that I think it should. Yeah. I think it absolutely <laughs> should. I mean, you know, and something I would say to this is, you know, there's a Noam Chomsky quote that I I heard when I was in college, and this is this has really helped me through my whole life, like understand power. You can always expect a a very powerful interest to do whatever is in its own best interest. Always, all the time. Like you see it with the government, you see it with Microsoft to a certain degree. You're seeing that at Vox Media right now with the struggle between Vox and Vox mm-hmm. Union. Um, you, you, we always see that, and like institutions of power are always going to act in their self interest. So I think like you kind of have to take it as a given that you know the U.S. just for whatever reason, law enforcement is going to want to be able to pressure Apple to throw over the keys to every iPhone in the world. And they're going to want to, you know, with Microsoft wielding so much email power, they're going to want to be able to wield that power and get Mm -hmm. the keys to that email. And I personally really want to give Microsoft props for standing up and adjudicating this case and making everyone go to court. I think it's really, really important because we do need those roadblocks there. Mm-hmm. And something, I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but something uh, the Verge article notes I think is very fair is all of this could be solved if Congress gave a tinker's darn about uh, <laughs> you know technology. I'm trying not to swear today. Uh, and would actually go through and like, outline clear procedures for subpoenaing this information and like working with companies like Microsoft. Because one of the, the caveats here is if um, I'm signing up for a Hotmail account and I just lie and say I live in Germany, then that information is going to be stored on a German server. So if we could like put that caveat in the, the bill 
and say, you know what, if uh, this, if the person subpoenaing the information can actually prove that they're an American citizen, then, you know, they've gone before a judge and they've said yes, and it's a legal subpoena. Like that entire process seems fine to me. So I think this is yet another example of Congress really abrogating their duty and like leaving it to a much more um, unwieldy question for the courts. Does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Like things like this, shouldn't be decided through through court precedent like that's not the easiest way to do things and the law i believe that they're working with here is from the 1980s and as the article points out it, it you know the cloud was not around back then we could not have foreseen how fractured information storage would have become and like you said, the the best way forward and probably the, the requisite way forward is to start thinking about things like this and, and organizing our government around what our information needs will be in the future, what citizens will need to have to be protected from government oversight and also what governments will need to do to, I guess... T- to ensure their own security, ensure the security of of their citizens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I I believe in civil liberties, but you know, I'm also someone who has firsthand seen the inefficacy of the law enforcement system. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want when bad guys have done things, I do want law enforcement to have the tools to like go forward and prosecute those cases. Like if someone's sending death threats, I very clearly want there to be a procedure for someone to go before a judge and subpoena that information. What I don't want is for law enforcement to have some back-channel automatic process to get information from people. And I have to say, I, I do realize that a judge was involved with this, but it does kind of bother me that they just forked over all of this user's metadata automatically. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, uh, it's it's not innocuous. And something we've seen this week with, um, you know, Apple finally um, agreed to store uh, all the iCloud user keys uh, for Chinese users in China, leaving you know the Chinese government with the very central repository of this oh. information that can give them, you know, pretty much unfettered access to you know that that information. Yeah, um, I imagine they're not having the same struggles <laughs> that we're having, or that they the don't. government is having with the court system. <laughs> they don't. I mean, there's not. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's a good and it's bad. I mean, I would never advocate the Chinese, um, you know, paradigm for the internet. Nope. But, uh, you know, like my own father-in-law would be the first to tell you Gamergate could never have happened in China because they know who says what online, you know, so they kind of see it, they they see it as like a Russian brought problem. They would not have that same problem there. Yeah. So from their point of view, they see it very differently. They're trying to create stability for a society. I'm not agreeing with that. I'm saying that's their point of view. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there it is. <gasps> this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Linode. <laughs> with Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. So whether you're just getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the right choice for you. 
Linode offers the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind it all. It has never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. And Linode guarantees 99.9% uptime for server availability. Basically, once your server is up, it's gonna stay up. They keep it that way. And Linode offer additional storage too. Uh, Block storage is now out of beta and is available in Fremont and Newark. So lucky you if you live in those places. Uh, And Linode also plans to expand their block storage to all data centers by June. So basically you get a preview. If you're in Fremont or Newark, everyone gets it by June. That's baller. Get your stuff up and running (laughs) and get ready. Strap in. Linode is great for tasks like hosting large databases, running a mail server, operating a VPN, uh, running Docker containers, and so much more. And they are hiring right now. Yeah. So if any of this interests you, if it sounds like your thing, go to linode.com slash careers. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash careers. But if you're interested in... uh, you know, having your own server. Of course, Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Uh, Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And because you know you, you're a Rocket listener, if you sign up at linode.com slash rocket, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any plan. So if that's the one gigabyte plan, that's four free months. And they have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So you got nothing to lose. <laughs> Set up the server. Go to linode.com slash rocket. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash rocket to learn more. Sign up. Take advantage of that $20, $20 credit. $20 credit. Step on down the line. Linode.com slash rocket. Or use the promo code ROCKET2018. That's 2018 at checkout. Uh, if, if you don't go to that uh, vanity URL that we have there. Uh, so either way, you get that $20 credit. Again, that was promo code ROCKET2018, 2018. And Linode.com slash rocket. Thank you so much, Linode, for supporting the show. They're awesome. They really are. Like we were looking at all kinds of, um, we were shipping Rev60, all kinds of like cloud hosting solutions Mm -hmm. for save data. If they'd had Linode back then, like we would have used them in a hot second. Like those prices are amazing. Yeah. Also, I have to apologize (laughs) for trying to do my 1920s Barker voice and kind of veering into Muppet there. I I, th- I thought it worked. Like that's you did a think hard it worked. Actress, I thought it was a hard actress challenge, but you stayed the course and you believed in it, and I believed in you, Simone. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> so much to you. Well, so before we go to the next topic, yeah. can I just say something super quickly? Yeah. <laughs> so we were going to talk every year. We've done Rocket. We always cover the new Samsung phones when they come out. <laughs> I uh. just want to be honest with our audience and say they came out this year in the new Samsung Galaxy. And I didn't feel like there was enough to say about it that would constitute a topic. You suggested like, it. And I, I had this moment of like, I haven't even what are we like gonna I've say got about it. Yeah. What Christina's not here. What am I gonna say about the new <laughs> is good? So I did think of something positive Tell though, me. to say. This phone has 
They fixed their exploding problem to the point where statistics show the Samsung Galaxy is the least exploding phone on the market. So, <laughs> so that's not really a great marketing tagline, but I I appreciate that. So they've they've brought out this line of phones this year. This year they've upped the milliamps, like we've noted in the past when they brought the Note to market. They did decrease the size of the battery a bit, just in case it was still exploding like the previous model. So Samsung, I appreciate. Yes, it's I seriously not going to explode. To explode. <laughs> you could sell that ad, though, Simone. You could. I could. You could. Sorry, I just like made my microphone peak so loudly. Oh my god, let me turn down the gain. Let me not yell. <laughs> I could sell the Samsung you could phone. Sell that. They should call me. I mean, everyone knows I use an iPhone, so oh boy. Anyway, enough about if if anything cool happens with the phone, we'll talk about it when Christina's back next week. Yep. Uh, for now, for just now. know that they're fine. And they don't explode. And I, ha- I, can't, I can't bring up any strong feelings about them. It's, but they it's, don't explode. I mean, it, it has like an, the equivalent of a Bitmoji feature built into it. Oh. And I think that's cool. I would rather have that in my iPhone than Animoji personally. Mm. But I'm just, uh, just not feeling it. So, yeah. Well, all right, all right, all right. Uh, the okay. ESRB has erupted into the news this week by doing something uh basically they are now introducing labeling on video games that will denote whether there are uh purchases in-game purchases such as for example loot crates it's about loot crates it's basically all about loot crates um so if you remember a few months ago when uh star wars battlefront 2 came out that game had what is probably one of the most uh confusing ornate intricate loot crate systems and in-game currency and real currency systems uh that i've ever seen in my life it -hmm. took me a long time to understand i've since purged that information from my brain because i don't want to know about it there was a lot of controversy about that because people were super upset and it made its way to the u.s government so you ask yourself what what's the government doing about uh data storage and those laws that they're also they're they're not doing anything about that right now. But what they are doing uh, is a couple senators have proposed legislation about um, in 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 game purchases, which I just made sound very trivial, but I don't think it's actually trivial because it is basically a gambling mechanism, uh, not in a literal sense, but in your brain, it is it is basically gambling uh, when you spend money on a loot crate and see what shiny stuff pops out. Uh, so anyway, the ESRB has kind of responded to um, threatening postures by senators uh, or by, by state representatives, rather, uh, by putting this label on boxes or moving forward with adding a label to to video game boxes, uh, much right. like the rating systems that are already on boxes. Basically, this is like if you bought Grand Theft Auto, you know, it would um, you know it would tell you it has uh, powerful sexual themes in it, it has drinking, it has gambling in it. You know, the ESRB basically gives consumers information that's in that game. Um, now, for me personally, I've never looked at an ESRB nope. <laughs> when I've bought one, but I'm also not a parent, and I know a lot of parents really care about this, and I don't think 
anyone would like object to like a parent having information about the games that their children are playing. Like, you know, I think that's very appropriate personally. I definitely agree. And the thing about this, I don't think anyone can object to it. Um, What it immediately put me in mind of was uh, another label that already exists on video game boxes, which is online interactions not rated by the ESRB, which is essentially like this, uh, a butt covering mechanism for the ESRB (laughs) to say, there might be some stuff in here that you won't like. But we can't do anything about it, which they, they honestly like it's not uh, the, the ESRB doesn't exist to police video games. They exist nope. to explain what content is in there because yep. it's not always obvious. So this this definitely makes sense. They're not a like a legislative board or anything. They're a ratings board. Um, it's right there in the name. So this is essentially sort of a make good gesture to uh the government to say like we we can tell you that it's in there there's we're not going to do anything to stop predatory loot crate practices which i think is fine for the esrb like that's not their job it's not their mission their yeah. mission is to like tell and you know a, a child can't like for me i'm just gonna be really honest with these men the new skull girls came out for out iphone and i've spent a hundred dollars on that oh game. my god and i'm not i'm not proud of it okay <laughs> i'm an adult and i made my very bad life choices like but That's a 14 year old right a 14 year old can't can't make that choice and i i know i've told this story before i'm rocket but I really think the ESRB is a fantastic example of how government pressure can really force private industry to do things correctly. So in the 90s, just to give Rocket listeners a history lesson, Sega had really been pushing the limits of blood and gore in video games. Like Nintendo kind of had a a policy to self-police all of the games that came out. And honestly, it censored a lot of stuff. And Sega really pushed the boundary with uh, games like Night Trap, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, which was basically a, a, a low, like a, a, a sex show, like on <laughs> Cinemax, you know. Um, and you know, Sega really pushed that boundary. And Joseph Lieberman, who is a Democrat, came forward and held hearings. And as a result of that, uh, um, basically Sega CEO came and founded the Electronic Software Board, uh, the ESB. And you had the ESRB, which is a um, basically a panel of parents, essentially, that look at all the information in video games and then give consumers those ratings. So basically being under threat of the government doing something, mm-hmm. private industry stepped forward and created something that I think has been wildly effective. I would say it's probably one of the best initiatives that's ever been launched by our field. And But I also think it's fair to say they never would have done that if there hadn't been hearings kind of holding their feet to the fire. So um, for me, seeing in-app purchases, this is like looked at more carefully. To me, I think this is a, a reasonable um, – it's a reasonable half step. It does occur to me in Skullgirls, they actually published the odds of everything that you buy in that game now, which I think is is good. Like I know when I spend money that it's a 5% chance I'm going to get a gold character, which seems fair to me. So um, I to me, this is like an ideal solution. But I take it – I kind of get the feeling that it, it's – 
gamers don't feel the same way, or maybe you don't. I mean, am I picking something up there? About uh, wanting like information about drop rates to be publicized. No, I I mean about, about the ESRB kind of expanding it to this. You know, I actually have not necessarily been keeping up with the dialogue about it because for me, it felt so cut and dry and I honestly would be shocked. I'm going to open up some Polygon articles right now and read the comments. (laughs) I would be shocked if other people didn't feel the same way just because it's, it's making the information available and right. there has been so much bad blood between publishers and people who play games after the the battlefront thing and then just the 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 general glut of in-game purchase mechanisms i've even seen a lot of people just being super down on dlc which is something that i personally have not had a problem with because I, I really enjoy it, but but the a, a large consensus of of people who play games also also seems to be like oh they're trying to wring more money out of me by lopping off this part of a game and selling it to me on top of what should be a whole game. Like people feel that way about DLC, and they are definitely not a huge fan of uh of loot crates and other in in game purchases. Yeah. Um. That being said, like. I understand the argument that it doesn't really do anything to fix it, especially like for if it's families and parents with young kids who are susceptible to this stuff that we're worried about. Like it, this label specifically doesn't offer game specific information. It just says it's there. Who knows if it's predatory? Who knows if it's relatively banal? Like we don't know. But again, like, like I said earlier, that's not really a, that won't fit on a freaking box. And there is detailed information on the ESRB's website about that stuff usually. And C, it's also not really what that organization is about. I, I think that's fair. But, I mean, can I give a use case that I think would, would like, yeah. fall into a real-world practice? So, uh, have you ever worked at a GameStop? I have not, fortunately. Okay. I have. It was a hard job. And before I had that job, I'm not saying this to be elitist or mean to parents. I I really mean this. Um, But I, before I had that job, I assumed the average parent had a baseline of information about games that their children were playing. And after I had that job, I realized that parents had no information about Mm -hmm. video games at all. Like, generally speaking, I know there are a lot of gamer parents out there. So the realistic use case of, like, when you buy a PS4 or a Switch, you can set up the parental controls right there, right that second. So let's say uh, if Frank and I had, you know, a six-year-old, I said, okay, you know, mommy's going to play her Grand Theft Auto, but (laughs) I would like like for my child, little Brianna, to not be exposed to M-rated content yet, that you can just automatically set that up. And I can see a parent saying, you know, anything within app purchases, um, maybe I just don't want that in my house because I don't want the risk of a huge bill here. Mm -hmm. Or if there is an MNAP purchase that my kid wants to make. They need to come get me. I will enter in my my credit card and my password, and then that can go forward. That to me feels like a it feels like a reasonable um, control here because again, 
I don't need anyone like stopping me from spending $100 on Skullgirls because I'm an adult. <laughs> but I really do feel seriously about this. Like uh, mm-hmm. my former disruption uh, colleague, Steve Lubitz, mm-hmm. like I saw all the thought he had to put into the games his children played. And I think it's something that just, you know, non-parents like myself, I just think it's a world we don't think about very much. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I wonder, I guess, what the what the solution is. Because, I mean, this is one of the things we wrote about at Pixelkin quite a bit was there is a lot of detailed, like more in-depth information about game content on the ESRB website. But I didn't know that before I started working there and spent a lot of time on the ESRB website. That information isn't on a game box because it's a lot of information and boxes are hideous already. So... (laughs) It, it there is a real gap that needs to be crossed between parents and and, and information about games. Like there, there there's a gap that that information needs to get to parents, and there right now there's not a way that that's happening. Yeah. Um, having browsed the the comments on this uh, Polygon article uh, about the proposal, most of them seem to be of the the consensus that this is a half step and then it's not enough. So I I think for once, you and the gamers see eye to eye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. But yeah, what what I'm thinking about with this specifically, like I think I can liken the existence of the ESRB to something that's trying to prevent something like the Hayes Code from happening again, where the US government... Hayes Code? What uh, is this? The Hayes Code uh, was a, a... law from the early 30s governing what films could show and could not show right right so yes like interracial kissing not allowed uh the behavior had to meet certain moral quote-unquote huge air quotes moral standards to be shown and what video games encountered in the uh, early 90s with Night Trap and Mortal Kombat was the government going, hey, you're showing the bad content. You're showing the bad immoral content in video <laughs> game, like publishers needing to go, we, we, we have a way to inform people about this content. Please do not police this content. We promise we'll make it very, very clear so that the children will not be exposed to the bad content. <laughs> like, like that's I what feel, I feel like it's worth saying. Like Night Trap's offending comment was, okay, it's don't tell me what I told you this moment, but it was a boob. And there were there were boobs in Night Trap. And then Scantily the clad was women being developed at the same time where you could get unlimited boobs. And no many boobs. Video games are a machine for unlimited boobs. Uh, It's true, but it's just funny that like we were freaking out about that. Where at the same time, this like delivery mechanism for any kind of unchristian thing. It's exactly, it's exactly that. So like, oh my goodness. Oh gosh. Oh goodness me. Well, before we go to the next topic, can I tell you a very quick fun story about the ESRB cocking it up? Please do. Okay, so this is Kim Swift told this uh, story when I was at a we did a panel together at PAX East a few years ago. <laughs> so uh, the first Portal, which was Kim Swift's most famous game, that actually had a it wasn't a G rating; it was the whatever the equivalent of a PG rating is in the games. And the reason for that is when the turrets in Portal shoot you and kill you, 
the screen kind of turns red as if there's blood and you're being hurt. And the reason is it was developed with the source engine. And it just had like all these read-write defaults on by, by all of that. So Kim felt that like, when we talk about accessibility in games, you know, often we're talking about, you know, gender based or, you know, disability based, Mm -hmm. but she feels that like um, accessibility for children is very important. So she wanted this game to have an E rating for everyone. And it hurt her that it didn't have that. So she went to the ESRB and she was like, can you please look, it's just this one variable changing it from true to false. Can I please change this? So you'll give me an E rating. And they were really, um, they would not work with her at all. on oh, that, no. And they wouldn't let her resubmit it at all. So um, I feel like we're praising the SRB quite a bit here, but you know, that's an example where according to Kim, it seems like they kind of messed it up. That sucks. Yeah. Oh man. Well, on that downer note, <laughs> this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code ROCKET at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, did you know? Did you know? Let me tell you. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So whether you want to create an online store or a portfolio or maybe a blog, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You do not have to worry your little head about those silly, silly things. Squarespace is worrying about those things for you. Except, I mean, there's no patches to install, so, like, nobody's worrying about that. It's just, you know, you make a (laughs) website. You just make the website, and then you have the website. It's yours. Squarespace has award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed so that you can show off your best ideas. And they are gorgeous and minimalist. And I love them. I just blogged on my Squarespace website today. I made a a rule uh, at the beginning of the year that I had to do one blog post a year, which is what I did last year. uh, And I made it to August, I think. What was it about? What was it about? This blog post was about a po- another podcast that I'm listening to, actually. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is the Bowery Boys podcast. And I popped open my Squarespace website and I fired off that blog post. I put an image in it. I, it simultweeted to my author Twitter. Um, boom, 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 boom. I did that in like half an hour because I didn't want to miss my goal on the second month of the year. And Squarespace <laughs> was there for me. They made it happen. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for ROCKET. That's R-O-C-K-E-T. ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. Yeah, every time I see an app for Squarespace while I'm out walking around, I just, you know, I just raise my hand. I just salute that ad for Squarespace. It gets me Squarespace. hot, Bree. It's true. It gets me they heated. Have, 
they have tirelessly supported the show. We love them. We love them. Well, uh, keeping on on the train of topics that are relevant to me and Brianna Wu, uh, <laughs> Discord has been hard at work purging uh, white nationalist, uh, racist, horrible servers from their platform. So Discord, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is a chat platform most often used uh, for people who are playing video games together. We actually use it for uh, our streams at work when we're doing Awful Squad. We have a, a Discord. Oh, do you? Yeah, really? we do. Oh, cool. Yeah, we use it instead of Skype, basically. Um, but there are a lot of uh, communities on Discord, like similar to Reddit, uh, similar to, I'll, I'll say even similar to live journal i guess even though that's an outdated platform but basically communities like-minded communities who come together to chat and have friends um sometimes that's great for example polygon's <laughs> awful squad junior has a discord where they hang out and talk about polygon content uh other discords for example are terrible and full of nazis uh however discord the uh company has been hard at work removing those discords uh, for th- an indeterminate amount of time. It's been happening over the course of a couple of days. We're not sure how long it's been going on. And there was a great uh, Polygon article by Julia Alexander, uh, who's been a guest on the show, and basically talking about, yeah, they had a really interesting, um, a very bold statement, I feel. Um, and it, it was so bold, I'm not sure I really agree with it. And they were just basically saying, Anytime there's a community that comes together for hate, it's always the right call to you know basically ban it, um, which I thought was a really strong statement. But it's you know like that's their value and they're sticking to it. Though I in this where I'd love to get your thoughts on this moment. What what I found really incongruous with that, or uh, what what I found really difficult to see them really following through on is discord generally speaking is a tool for gamers to get together. Like um, when I was really into the final fantasy 15 game on iOS, I spent quite a lot of time on a discord for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And along with those communities, they're just, it's sad to say, but in gamer culture, there's just unfortunately a high amount of sexism and transphobia and racism. That's just, casually thrown around the culture. And, you know, for me, it's like a lot of the time when I'm playing a game, I don't want to have like, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm on the clock to fight for social issues. And I'm always like torn. Do I say something? Do I not Mm -hmm. say something? So like for discord, it's like, I, I certainly agree with the step of like virulent, you know, Nazi planning sites on Discord, that seems like uh, something clearly that they should ban. But, you know, I think if you looked more deeply at the at every Discord server, I'm sure you'd find a lot of, you know, edge cases. Like, I'm sure there are games out there, like Discord's based around, like, making fun of people of color, you know, mm-hmm. or LGBT people. I mean, are they going to follow through on that? It seems like a, a really it seems hard to live to that val all the way up to that value that they espouse. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, that does make sense to me. And they, they have specifically said that they're not uh, reading people. We do not read people's private messages. Private messages we yeah. do investigate and take immediate appropriate action against any reported TOS violation by a server or user. So I, 
I feel like there they have they've left themselves uh an out not an out because yeah. i because i i have to, i'm totally unequivocally in support of what they're doing i find it very refreshing honestly for yeah, yeah. for a tech company to take that stand that we've seen so many other tech companies go eh, i don't know what we're gonna we don't like that but i don't know what we're actually gonna do a about it like we'll we'll come up with better moderating tools we'll come up with blah 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 blah, which yep. is all valid responses but for discord to actually like lay down the hammer and say we are purging these literal nazi communities from our platform i i can't believe that that is refreshing in the year of our lord 2018 but it is refreshing <laughs> and it's freaking awesome um that being said i, I don't i'm not familiar with more less <laughs> the the less organized but mal- equally malicious groups yeah. that might yeah. be out there um just because i i don't spend a lot of time in the discord community as a whole i would hope that if discord is taking these measures against these communities which are very visible uh one of them is actually a designated hate group by the yep. Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm glad they're gone. Um, I hope that if if they're taking such a harsh stand against these communities, that they're also taking seriously, like if there were a Discord equivalent of, say, Reddit's fat people hate that were reported to them, I would hope that they would be equally fair in dealing with a community like that that is hateful and and cruel to people. Yeah. No, I think and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong to be concerned here, Simone. I mean, you're right. It is really refreshing uh to see them come forward. And yeah, you, know, you mentioned Reddit and their fat people hate thing. I think it's very notable. Uh Ellen Powell did not take down Gamergate, which to mm-hmm. this day wrecks it's still wrecking careers and it's still leading a lot of harassment against people in the game industry. So maybe a harder line is called for. Um I guess it's just like really hard and fast rules like it just um i don't know it, it yeah just I, I, know, I do know how yeah, you feel about yeah. hard and fast rules like this like when we were discussing yeah. it with christina's mom and and twitter <laughs> i guess i'm i'm interested because i i don't know if you read that twitter thread that was going around this week about uh the alt-right preying on depressed men i did you did yeah i think yeah. it went deservedly i think viral and i was thinking about that uh in reference to this and for those of you who haven't seen it it's a thread from a person on twitter who was like in a dark place and was befriended by alt-right people and like went through partially through that like indoctrination process and kind of saw it for what it was as preying on people who are vulnerable who are very lonely um and who can who want to find community and to not feel so alone and that what the all right does uh is is very intentionally provide community for these people and then provide them with this exciting new ideology of uh sucking uh (laughs) being hateful jerks uh let me put a little time stamp in there um For me. No, I think that's that's dead on, Simone. I've talked to so many of them when they come up to me at like college talks, and they're under socialized, lonely men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one of them that called me up and wrote me a really heartfelt letter and said, "Like Brie, um, 
Yeah, I've been in a lot of therapy lately, and it would mean a lot to me if you would actually jump on Skype with me and let me apologize to you in person. And um, I did that, and they told me a story about really um, being in a dark place, uh, feeling like they had no friends, and this was their community, and they they got caught up in it. So I can I can definitely see that. It, I, it, I think sorry, yeah, go ahead. sorry. it interests no, me ahead. in, in yeah. connection to Discord because like this is. The, the demographic it's a venn diagram of like lonely young men and young men who play video games simply because the most of that demographic plays video games whether or not they're depressed uh so and discord is a place for people who share that interest to gather and have communities so it interests me what is going to happen to that dynamic if this place is not available as a gathering space for people who play video games and are vulnerable and who might get inducted into all right communities. Like I, I don't have an answer to that, but I'm, I'm super interested in it. Yeah. I hope this is okay to say, but yeah, someone, you and I have a, we have a mutual friend and they are, you know, he's a transgender man. And one of the things that I always find so amazing when I talk to him is how he has, Every one of the very best qualities that men have and none of the the toxic stuff that goes along with it. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? He's so secure in who he is, but he's got like this amazing reservoir of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, sometimes I think about these alt-right communities and I, I can't help but feel it's because... Yeah, we're doing something wrong along the way mm-hmm. in how we raise men. Mm-hmm. And I think like there's a lack of freedom to show emotion or there's just something that's going wrong along the way. And it's just, it's sad. And like when I talk to alt writers or gamer gators at colleges, what I see aren't monsters. I see people that I really, I don't want to use the word pity, but like, I feel sorry for them because something they they're looking for human connection, but they don't realize that like following me and another woman that works at a college out to our car, asking us hostile after having asked us hostile questions mm-hmm. at eleven o'clock at night is deeply uncomfortable yeah. and weird. <laughs> like there's something going on that's that's wrong there, and I I don't know how we solve that. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a big empathy divide, I think, on the internet. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, there are a lot of oh depressed people in in many communities who need who need help. Absolutely, absolutely. Can yeah. I say one last thing on this? Before and I we hope jump that Nazis awesome aren't the people who help about them. Black yes, Panther. carry on. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, uh, it was brought to my attention. Uh, I haven't personally seen it because I never Google myself. <laughs> but uh, people on my campaign tell me that my campaign is in a lot of these discords that were banned, like people targeting my campaign with harassment and bots and uh, pictures of my home and things like that. That's what I'm told, at least. So, um, yeah, it's kind of weird to see that still reverberating out there. God. Mess yep. uh- Let's talk about something better. Let's do it. This movie was so good. Oh, my gosh. We watched Black Panther. We did. It's so freaking good. So I I just watched it last night. Uh, This is obviously the latest Marvel movie um, with uh, Chadwick Boseman playing 
Black Panther. It's directed by Ryan Coogler. Um, and it has been much hyped for many months. And it, for me, definitely lived up to the hype. It was so refreshing as a Marvel movie and did not feel necessarily like a Marvel movie. Bree, give not. us your <laughs> two cents. So, you know, I was I was really worried at the beginning of this movie because um, I guess we should say, like, are we going to fully spoil it here? Like, let's do uh, it. Like, really? OK, sure. What? Go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Why not? Yeah. We've given you 53 minutes of Rocket. So just jump to the chapter marker if you don't want Black Panther to be spoiled. Uh, but, you know, this movie starts with like something that gave me a lot of pause because it's just like. And there were five tribes that came along. And it's just like two minutes of exposition. And I'm like, oh, God, what on earth have I walked into? And it goes from there into one of the most character-driven Marvel movies I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. It has a villain with the rage inside of him that I really understand, <laughs> you know, and it's got characters fighting for what is right that I really understand and trying to reach inside of themselves and find the best. Mm -hmm. And this is like the entire human tapestry. It is all here in this movie. Like there is not a single wasted scene. Um, I thought it was spectacular. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think the the tweet that, that stuck with me that I saw before I saw the movie was, oh, it's so nice to have a Marvel movie that isn't relying on fighting a big robot or like some huge giant ship crashing in the third act. And I had that in my mind as I was going into it and I didn't, it, it absolutely, like, was that feeling of relief in the third act of, like, this is still a very character-driven film where there is not necessarily, like, there there's no uncomplicated answer to the conflict between the two characters. Uh, um, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger and Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman, uh, like, there's no easy answer to the question of the conflict that's dividing them. Uh, there is, you know, an ending. There is a conclusive ending, but it's still like it still lets you like have the meat of the their philosophical conflict to chew on, and like there was, I felt so many emotions in that final battle because it wasn't about like man who's gonna take down a big robot with their powers. It was about like these people that I cared about, and even though one of them was the villain, like. He was still so... I had so much empathy for him. My God, Michael B. Jordan is an amazing actor. He, he really... So, I mean, and just to, just to kind of give people background on this, the character of Black Panther is a man who finds himself as the king of Wakanda. And he's trying to reach inside of himself and, and find out what kind of king he's going to be. He's trying to find out what kind of man he is and what he values. And the struggle Wakanda is going through is kind of similar to the discussion we're having here in the United States. Like, do we allow refugees in? Do we export um, our riches to the rest of the world? Do we, like, share what we have with others? Or do we kind of keep it for ourselves? Um, the villain in this, well, the quote-unquote villain, um, the villain in this movie is someone who grew up in America and his father was killed. 
And he sees, he's very angry about the way people of color are treated around the world. And what he wants to do is come to Wakanda and take over Wakanda and become the king and then export Wakandan technology out to basically, he wants to see you know, people of color rise up all over the world and become dominant because it's the only way they will find justice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not doing it. It, yeah, I can't just give you a summation of this character conflict. It is acted in a way where both people absolutely feel true mm-hmm. with every fiber of their being, and you buy that conflict. And you know, I don't agree with Killmonger. But I really understand where he's coming from. And that character truth in this movie is, yeah, it's exactly what was wrong with Age of Ultron, where, you know, Ultron is being, you know, um, you know, acted by James Spader, who's one of the best actors in the entire world. But the character is basically, you know, snidely whiplash, like <laughs> twirling a mustache and throwing a woman on the train track, right? Like it's very two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. That's not this film at all. I mean, it's it's very rich. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to previous Marvel villains. And yeah, like the last... I, I I 100% think Killmonger is like the best and again quote unquote villain the best one they've ever had just because it wasn't it wasn't an easy answer it was somebody who was doing doing something for doing something the wrong way but doing it for the right reasons and like what happened to him was so horrible it was so horrible and it like it it doesn't let you forget this idea that like america for for these for people from wakanda like it's hell it sucks racism exists all over the world it exists like people are oppressed it doesn't shy away from those issues because yeah it, it it the world is a bad garbage place um and it like it doesn't shy away from any of that and it lets you empathize with him and what he wants to do. Um, but it also shows a king like wrestling with what is correct. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, there is this, it's basically the same question we're having in America right now. And, you know, Black Panther basically has to, to wrestle with that himself. I'm not going to spoil what he decides, but it's, it's very much his journey as a as a person, and I think it's it's so notable that that didn't involve like punching a robot or getting back his adamantium healing powers, yeah, you know, or or something like that. It was all about him discovering himself, and I thought that was very very powerful. Yeah, um, there's a lot of subtext to this film that you know this is. Um, like there's only one space in this movie where two white characters talk to each other. (laughs) All the rest of it is people of color, like in every single Mm -hmm. role. And that was, it was, it was very powerful, um, very clearly to a lot of people of color. I didn't feel excluded watching this. I thought it was just, I felt empowered seeing other people empowered. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the amazing, how many amazing black women are in this film. Absolutely. Yeah. You see them as like the generals, like they're the most awesome warriors out there and like their emotional inner lives are 
it it's not something we really see in a Marvel movie. You know, like look at Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wasp was barely a character in that film. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um like the the inner lives of the women in this film are very powerful to see. I feel like yeah, I'm trying to think about other Marvel movies now. And again, I'm pretty sure most of the other ones have been one to two and white women side characters yeah. and this yep functionally every important person in Black Panther's life is a black woman who is important and has her own interior life and her own motives um, and who is respected as a full character. And like, I've never seen that in a blockbuster film before. (laughs) Certainly not a superhero movie. Uh, It was just, it was just so good it just hit so many good notes and it was like boom that's how you do it that's how it can be done i i do want to say this this would be my only criticisms of this film um i thought the action scenes were where this film it wasn't bad but it was just standard marvel fare like there is a um there's a car chase scene and you know, it feels like as black Panthers jumping onto cars and crushing them, like the animation just feels cheap and off. Uh, and the big fight scene at the end, it just, it was cool, but it wasn't great. Um, I could, and I, I, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I couldn't decide as I was watching it. Cause I, I also felt that way about the, there, there's a lot of hand to hand combat and I felt that it was very hard to get a sense of the action because the cutting was so fast. And I couldn't decide whether that was like the blockbuster trying to cover up the fact that the actors don't actually know how to punch or whether it was a stylistic thing. And I, I personally don't have an answer on that, but I, I I think (laughs) I would have enjoyed like some more kinetic fighting, visible fighting. Yeah, definitely. Um, but clearly this movie did well enough that it's going to have a sequel and they will have Good. as much money as they want to do anything they want at that point because it's not going to be a gamble in the same way. But yeah, it's a, uh, what can I say? Like letting, like Wonder Woman prove this, that really telling a story that, you know, put her real inner emotional life out there and, you know, told a different kind of story. That did very well. This did very well. And I think it's just, um, I think it's a different age for comic books. Heck yeah. Oh my goodness. We did it. All right. Free, what are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing caucuses. One of the things you have to do when you're running for Congress is you have to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. So I am going out there to town hall meeting, town hall meeting, town hall meeting. Oh my gosh. Asking people what town they live in and getting them to sign uh, things that my staff is. It's going very well. Uh, It's a very humbling experience, but it's obviously very tiring. Uh, Also, I'm giving a a speech at Harvard this weekend. Oh, my God. Uh, So it's the WeCub conference, and uh, basically Harvard is letting me do a policy on government and technology. Um, yeah, we, we talk about these issues a lot on the show, issues like privacy issues, like, uh, uh, it, it's very striking to me that government offices are not required to have code audits to make mm-hmm. sure that the, the software they're running is safe. 
Uh, we don't really have mandatory encryption for a lot of um, things. So basically, we're doing a, um, a panel on government and policy. Uh, one of my panelists is going to be a candidate for district attorney here in Massachusetts. Mm. She is brilliantly smart, but talking about what she needs from uh, basically a technology perspective to ensure uh, better outcomes in the justice system. So really fantastic panel, which is absolutely top-notch people. I'm looking forward to that. Yay, that's super exciting. Did you say what time can can people go to that oh of course well i don't actually know you can <laughs> see if you can go to it it's at harvard it's the WeCo conference and it's at 12 30 on saturday awesome so fantastic place to meet women engineers like uh if you have any interest in the field at all like it's great networking noise i'm kind of having a, a normal week <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on an episode of Game Ogre that's going to come out on Monday. What's Game Ogre? Uh, it's Tell the show where Pat is. and I wear a sweater and play video games together because we've been cursed. And it's very, very silly and good. And this week we are playing Monster Hunter, which is a good game that I haven't played in a couple weeks and I want to get back to it. Um, and other than that, I have the video on Halcyon that I talked about last week that should be coming out tomorrow morning. Um, and I will drop it in the show notes uh, once it is up and public on YouTube. It was a lot of fun to do. And that. So I want to be really clear. You think Game Ogre is not going to beat Black Panther at the Oscars this year? Unfortunately, uh, no. I The okay. committee uh, is cruelly not. <laughs> they won't even they won't even watch game over like they're treating it like it's a a a loss from the start like it's not even shouldn't even be eligible which is weird because it totally should be uh that my youtube show but you know that's that's what you get as a creator in this world sometimes you gotta take the lemons and squeeze them real hard to your chest and just cry on them (laughs) so well we'll see what we can do about that (laughs) oh brianna where can we find you online find me at space cat gal on twitter and uh if you'd like to donate to my campaign uh we are gonna have to raise a ton of money to put the infrastructure together here in massachusetts to get on the ballot it is i I can only be in so many places at once unfortunately i cannot teleport from meeting to meeting so i need to add additional staff so um yeah if you'd like to contribute to my campaign uh please go to supportbriana.com supportbriana.com all right, and you can find me on Twitter at doomquasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where, of course, you can rate and review the podcast, uh, which is a cool thing to do to let us know how you feel about it. Uh, and thank you so much to everyone who has already done that and everyone who tells your friends to listen to the podcast. Uh, you are spreading joy. For me and for you and for them. Do you feel personally disappointed in people that don't definitely podcast? Yeah, I actually write their names down in a little book uh, that I keep by my bedside (laughs) table. And every day, you know, any day when I have less names to write down is a good day for me—a day of less disappointment and sadness. So that's a lot of negative energy, Simone. Oh yeah, I keep it very close to my heart. Don't be I'm on my list. I'm just imagining you doing that. You're laying in your Casper mattress like John Smith. I can't stand <laughs> that person. Did not rate Rocket that, that jerk Jeremy store. Jeremy Slate, 
still <laughs> has not rated the podcast. It has been 164 episodes. <laughs> oh, I think this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. I'm going to say it for Christina. Terminated.